With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the first edition of Minnesota Nice, a question and answer podcast of sorts that we're going to do with opposing blogs throughout the season. Uh, the first to join us is Hammer and Rails. We've got Boiler T Mill, Travis, with us. Hey, how are you guys doing? Or I guess just you. I mean, unless you're the royal you guys. I'm the royal we, sure. I can be the dude and be the royal we. I've never been the royal we before. Sweet. New podcast, and I get to be the royal we. Well, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the, the Minnesota Nice, which I think we created this name simply because we decided it'd be fun to put the logos of other blogs through a wood chipper, and there was actually clip art for that. Hey, um, so if you haven't already noticed, that's the logo, and that's kind of why we're doing this, in addition to the fact that it's fun chatting with other bloggers uh, about, you know, sometimes about the games and other times about, you know, the teams we hate together and um, why Notre Dame is terrible and, you know, things like that. We'll get along just fine then if, we're, if Notre Dame is going to be terrible. And Oh, Notre Dame's terrible. We don't, no, nobody likes Notre Dame. Notre Dame is, there's, they're simply Indiana basketball fans with the other side of the jacket. So, <laughs> Boy, you are appealing to our fan base. I mean, I'm not even buttering you up. I literally have not. I mean, Notre Dame, Notre Dame football fans are the ones that I meet. So, I, you know, I was living in Northern Kentucky until so I moved across the river and I met a bartender uh, who was like, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a Notre Dame fan. I was like, okay, cool. And, and I was like, you're wearing a Kentucky shirt. Oh, I'm a Kentucky basketball fan, but I cheer for Notre Dame in the fall. And all I could think of was, I mean, it's not Indiana, but it's still the most Notre Dame fan thing I've ever met. Like, of course, of course, you're not a Notre Dame basketball fan. That, that, that just, there is no honor in that. No, not even remotely. Like I, I guess. Just to stick with all your teams, even the ones who are terrible. I mean, I'm a Minnesota fan. I, I have many. I mean, I got, we were only two years removed from having all of our teams be terrible. So, all right. Well, I mean, speaking about terrible and speaking about good, might as well move to Purdue because Purdue is definitely not terrible. Um, and I guess I, I kind of asked the other guys in the blog to come up with some questions and how they wanted me to ask. And one of the ones that came out was just how good do you think this Purdue team is? Do you think you're – Bowl game good, or are you just like, we're happy we're not being coached by Hazel good? I think they're definitely bowl game good because, um, I mean, better than Hazel, really, that's that's not difficult to accomplish. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're talking about somebody who his teams went 1-11 at home in Big Ten play. Or, no, 1-15 at home in Big Ten play, excuse me, over, over four seasons. Wait, you, did you really only win one Big Ten game? One Big Ten game, his his lone Big Ten home win, because he won twice at Illinois. He was undefeated at Illinois two and zero. But uh, he you won beat Nebraska, one Big Ten right? Game. Yeah, he beat Nebraska fifty five forty five, 
in a game where their walk-on freshman quarterback had five turnovers. And (laughs) even then, they tried their damnedest to give the game away because um, with about a minute left or so, Nebraska scored to cut the lead to... er, or no, Purdue had scored, and they blocked the extra point and ran it back for two, but that was called back due to a penalty. So that when they received the when they received the kickoff, they went down and scored to cut it to ten. Had the two pointer stood, they would have gotten the ball on an onside kick with thirty seconds left, down only eight. And that was after we led 42-16 entering the fourth quarter. So he tried his damnedest to lose that game with a 26-point lead in the fourth quarter. Was that Riley, a Riley coach team? Was that, Or was that the, the last year of um, uh, Bo? Uh, Bo? That, that was Riley's first uh, – that was his first team. And, uh, I mean, it, really, I, I'm completely aware that the only reason we won that game is – uh, Riker Fife was the quarterback, and he just had a, a, just about the worst game possible you could have for a collegiate quarterback. I mean, it was just, you felt bad for the kid, and he still threw for something like 400 yards and four touchdowns because they were just chucking the ball all over the place in the fourth quarter trying to get back at all, and we almost let him back in it. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember if that was before or after the Minnesota-Nebraska game. I think it was before, and I remember thinking, like we were all pretty excited that that Riker Fife could go ahead and do that against Minnesota, even though they were having a tough year. And then, of course, he comes out, comes to Minnesota, and I don't think he threw a pick. He went out for like four hundred yards or something. It was not not the same. That was a <laughs> but. But going back to your original point, it's like, yeah, I, th- I think this team is bowl game good. And uh, one of the things that stood out is before the season started, everybody thought that we would struggle at at Missouri and that that would be, oh, well, of course, Missouri is going to, uh, of course, Missouri is going to win that game. And it ended up, you know, Purdue just blows them out. And probably Missouri is not nearly as good as anybody thought. I mean, they're, they're actually quite atrocious right now and an absolute mess. But, you know, that was the game that just got everybody excited even more so than the Louisville game. Cause you know, even Hazel had a couple of games where, you know, he would do something right. And, you know, he would play Michigan State inexplicably close. And so we could kind of write off the Louisville one as, all right, it's a first game. You know, maybe they played above their heads. But uh, then they ended up blowing out Ohio and just absolutely took Missouri behind the woodshed in their own field. And that that was a very, very pleasant surprise. And so we've got two wins in the bank. I think We've got to beat Rutgers in Illinois because those teams just look awful, and we're fortunate to have both of them on our schedule this year. And then to get two more wins and get to a bowl game, I think you look at four opponents in Nebraska's not looking great, Northwestern's not looking great, Indiana's looking like Indiana at times, and Minnesota's got some questions. You, all you got to do is get two of those four, and most of those games are at home. Uh, so, you know, I think they could get to a bowl game and that would be pretty, I mean, we'd be pretty ecstatic after four years of just awful football. Yeah, as you should be. Um, I, I think, uh, the, I want to make sure I quote him right, but U street, one of our writers, uh, and one of our podcasts said, uh, at this point, um, 
under under uh, Jeff Brom, uh, Purdue is now a team he's excited to go watch on Saturdays, and he finds that inexplicable and disturbing. <laughs> it, it's been a while since you could say that because Danny Hope was just – I mean, it just seemed like that was bubble screen after bubble screen after bubble screen with not a great defense. And then Hazel was trying to play Ohio State man ball with – Mac recruiting, and that was never going to work, and he never realized that. Um, I, I once described Hazel's team as boring and aggressively shitty, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's really what it was. I mean, they were just that bad, and they weren't even, they weren't even an exciting bad. Um, two years ago in the season that was supposed to be his make-or-break season, we had home games against Indiana, Virginia Tech, Illinois, and Minnesota, and all four of those teams finished 6-6 six and six in the regular season, and Purdue got blown out at home in all four games. Yeah, I remember that Minnesota game. That Minnesota game was one that we were all like really edgy about because we needed that win really bad, and then I think the game started off kind of sloppy and fairly close, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we're going to play really well, I guess. And, yeah, that was – I can't imagine being on your side of it because we should – there were, there was no one from the Minnesota side of things who would have predicted anything like that going into it. So, and, and, you know, the one that stands out to me was the Illinois game where they ran for more yards against us than they had in their previous four Big Ten games combined. They were the worst rushing team in the conference coming in, and we let them run for, like, 380 yards. And it wasn't even – it wasn't even a challenge for them, and it was just like, really, guys? Are you are you serious? So I guess under under uh, Brom now, what what's changed the most? Like, what do you think is the biggest? And I guess does, you don't even have to stop at one. What are the biggest reasons for the early success that Purdue has had uh, this season? Well, I know that he's known as an offensive coach, but uh, I was looking at the numbers earlier tonight and ended up publishing a post on on it. His defense actually has been quite the story so far uh offensively we're only scoring about four and a half to five more points a game than we were last year throughout the season whereas the defense is 17 points better per game and especially the run defense we were giving up 238.4 yards a game on the ground last year we're down to 132 per game and there's a couple of things you got to look at in there is that's with playing uh, some guy and you might have heard of him Lamar Jackson you know he he, he's He's okay yeah I mean he's he's an okay guy but uh really that's that kind of surprised us is at when we played Louisville we were able to keep them mostly in check except for when Lamar Jackson just started doing Lamar Jackson things in the second half. Uh, against Missouri, they had a pretty explosive offense. We held them to three points and sat on their heads the entire second half. And even even last week, or our last game against Michigan, it was pretty much a dead-even game until about five minutes to go in... Uh, five minutes to go in the third quarter, Purdue's leading 10-7, and they had O'Corn dead to rights on a sack. He was able to uh, duck under Juwan Bentley, complete a 30-yard pass over the middle for a first down, and that's kind of what got going. They went down, scored a touchdown, forced a three and out, scored another touchdown, and at that point our defense was just gassed and kind of got 
kind of got hit for some big plays there in the last quarter, but for most of the first three quarters, they were doing a great job against Michigan and just holding their running game in check. I think they ended up getting like a third of their total yards on one run at the end of the game. They had a 49-yard touchdown run, and they only finished with like 130 yards in the game on the ground. So, you know, those aren't you know, world beating we're Alabama numbers, but compared to where we've been, the run defense is just night and day better and it's it's wonderful to see because it's been putrid for years. What's the biggest uh factor in that run and that run stopping? Is it is it the entire front seven? Is it your front four, your linebackers, the play calling? What do you think's been the big key for that? I think it's definitely the linebackers and just the difference with uh, our new defensive coordinator he wants them aggressive he wants them going to the backfield whereas um our previous defensive coordinator for some reason he felt we needed to play a 4-2-5 uh with five defensive backs even though we were inexperienced in the defensive backfield and our linebackers were the strength of our team so uh you can imagine when you've got we had three pretty solid linebackers and one of them's on the bench on almost every defensive play and the other two are taking a step back in a pass coverage as opposed to being aggressive against the run, of course you're going to give up 250 yards a game. So now he's got all of them on the field at the same time. Um, one of the guys that actually came over with Brom was TJ McCollum, his top linebacker at Western Kentucky the last two years. He was able to come over as a graduate transfer and has immediately become a solid, solid outside linebacker with us and then we already had Jawan Bentley in the middle and Marcus Bailey on the outside and then we were able to take Danny Izichukwu who is yet another uh, fifth year linebacker for us and we play him kind of at defensive end and let him get in the backfield and just uh, be aggressive and try to stop the run and it's been a huge improvement so far I mean used to be you could hand off up the middle and get 10, 15 yards without breaking a sweat against us. Now we're actually, you know, tackling guys and stopping the run. I, I, I don't know how to act on Saturdays, to be honest. <laughs> now, who I'm trying to remember, who is who is suspended for the first half of the game because of the targeting calls? Bentley and then who else? Uh, Bentley is suspended and then uh, safety Jacob Thineman. He is a walk. He's a walk-on and he's in his first year of starting, but he's been really, really solid. I mean, you don't earn a starting job in the Big Ten as a walk-on unless you have no other options or it turns out you're actually pretty good. And I think it turns out he's actually pretty good. He's a really aggressive player. He's got a couple of interceptions in his career now. And he's he's one of those guys, he's not going to wow you with his physicality, but he's your typical walk-on that has earned playing time in that he just does everything right. And really the, the targeting call he kind of got I thought was BS. To me it looked like the Michigan receiver tripped over his own feet and ran into him. But uh, it is what it is, and he's going to be sitting the first half. And that's going to be – I think that's going to be key for Purdue because we do need both of them out there. And Michigan started to make – they really started to do a lot of things after both of them got tossed from the game. Since Minnesota's offense last weekend was – anemic-ish at times. I will have to cross my fingers and hope they decide to do non-anemic things in the first half <laughs> so that when the full-strength Purdue defense appears in the second half, uh, you know, better better things are underway, hopefully. Um, offensively, what do you think Minnesota fans should keep an eye out for? Uh, for anyone who's not super familiar with, with Brom's 
kind of crazy style. Oh, I hope you like trick plays. We did it. We One of the first plays that Brom ran in the spring game, not the first game of the season, but the spring game, he ran a fake flea flicker, which is, I've never seen a fake flea flicker, but he had the running back charge through the hole, turn around like he's tossing it back to the quarterback, and then turn back around and take off down the field for 15 yards. And, you know, that's just the type of stuff he's going to do. Last week, our first play from scrimmage was a wide receiver pass back to Blau for about a 15, 20-yard gain. And we've had a reverse flea flicker that ended up being a long touchdown against Ohio. He's going to do what he can to uh, play to produce strengths. And really, in, at, the, at receiver, it's our two tight ends, Cole Herdman and Bryson Hopkins. They're two big tight ends they do a great job of getting open down the field we love getting them up the seam and getting them on a defensive back if we can because Hopkins is just going to run over somebody and Herdman is a very sure-handed receiver over the middle and it's just nice to see them kind of doing their thing and then really the running game has kind of been disappointing of late we've uh our starting running back Tario Fuller is likely going to miss the game he's got 261 yards and two touchdowns, uh, but he got banged up against Missouri, didn't play against Michigan. But we're hoping to get Markel Jones back, who played against you guys the last two years, and he had a really good freshman season, a bit of a disappointing year last year, and then he hurt his knee on a kickoff against uh, against Louisville and hasn't played since, but they're hoping to get him back in this week, and he's probably our most talented back overall and it would be nice to get him involved in the offense and get him going because he can be a big play guy and break some tackles and get some of the hard yards that we need to on the ground. Uh, important question. Um, do, you, do you guys find Elijah Sindelaire's eyes to be creepy? Because everybody <laughs> on the TG, uh, TDG staff, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, we know him as uh, serial killer Sindelaire is how we've referred to his eyes creep the hell out. Oh, well, I'll, I'll take a guy with crazy eyes. Uh, you know, we, we could use a guy with crazy eyes. And, I mean, it's not like anything else has been working for us. But, he, yeah, he, <laughs> oh, man, he does have that dead-eyed stare. It's just something. They're, like, they're just so piercing. But not in the, like, sexy actor way, but in the, no, seriously, I hate you and everything you stand for way. And, uh, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not a good look for me. I, I don't care. Um, I guess, what what have you liked about the quarterback rotation? Because, I mean, I guess I don't remember for sure if you were doing it against Michigan, but I know early in the season you were rotating those guys in and out. And I, I'm just interested to know, like, what you think they're, they found from that. It, it's very interesting to see. I mean, both of them, both of them have played in all four games. Uh, Blau started the last two. Sindelar started the first two. And Sindelar ended up starting more because Blau injured his shoulder in fall camp. And it was a question of whether he was going to play at all in the opener. And then he did, came in and did really well. Um, but it, it strangely has worked. Um, usually I'm against this type of rotation. I like having just one guy and settling on him. But for some reason, for it's worked. I mean, when Sindelar has been good, he's, he's done a good thing. And then if he starts to slack off, they brought in Blau against Louisville, who played extremely well. And then you have... At Missouri, Blau was just about perfect on the first uh, three drives. Then he ends up struggling a bit and has a bad series or two. They brought in Sindelar, and he takes him right down the field for another touchdown, put him up 28-0. So 
overall, Blau's been better. He's got a 70% completion percentage to Sindelar's 48. But both of them are taking care of the ball. Um, we've thrown 11 touchdowns to only four interceptions, which is a vast improvement over last year. Each of them has thrown two interceptions, but uh, I don't think they've thrown an interception since the first game of the season, to be honest. I think they threw all four against Louisville, and that's it. So... I have no idea how it's doing it, voodoo, black magic, whatever, but it's working for us, and I'll take it. <laughs> if um, if you had to kind of like lay out the way you think Purdue would beat Minnesota on Saturday, how, how would you see that going down? Where Purdue's going to do the best is if they have a similar start to what they did at Missouri. They took the opening kickoff, went down and scored, got a quick stop, then went down and scored again. And suddenly it's 14 nothing, and Missouri's really up against it. Then they got another stop and scored yet again. So in a span of about 15, 20 minutes, they were up 21 nothing. And I know Minnesota has a really strong running game, but I know your passing game has been questionable, not just this year, but in recent years too. And it, it just seems like it would be really hard for Minnesota to amass some kind of comeback if they fall behind early. So I, th- I think that's going to be key for Purdue is to get the offense going, get it working like it did at Missouri, and uh, jump out to a bit of a lead, be it 10 nothing, 14 nothing, and make Minnesota play catch-up the rest of the game. Yeah, I would not be overly psyched if um, if we had to play catch-up. Uh, we're, we're extremely good at executing what we at the Daily Gopher have called the Kent State Protocol. Um, which is essentially get uh, a big enough lead where you can uh, just work to grinding it out or um, ideally play a team that is bad enough on offense like Kent State has been that you can simply not worry about them beating you with their offense. (laughs) I don't think either of those really apply to Purdue. I don't think the Kent State protocol is a successful strategy for beating you. So I would, I, I would prefer not to be down 14, um, nothing early. Uh, I saw, I saw the Buffalo game and it, that wasn't very impressive to be quite honest. No, no offense. The Buffalo game is a prime example of the Kent state protocol going into effect. Uh, it's not meant to be impressive. It's meant to break your will with boredom and allow you to win. It's uh Yes, it's it's a special kind of thing, and we had to name it, or we were going to go crazy. Well, no, no wonder, no wonder it was boring because Hazel came from Kent State, and he just forgot the uh, "where you down" part. It was just boring, and as I said, boring and aggressively shitty. Yeah, we we came up with it because uh, Kill back in twenty fifteen, um, they played Kent State, and it was a game where they just went all inside run. Um, basically the entire second half and it they were only up three or seven or it wasn't very much and you kept freaking out like why are we not trying to score and then you looked at the advanced stats the S&P plus after the game and the win probabilities and the efficiency performance like in terms of like expected success and all that were so way out of whack in favor of Minnesota that it was like huh so basically, they just knew that all they had to do was lean on the percentages that if they do this, Kent State will never come back on them. And it's not necessarily a great strategy because all it takes is one missed tackle. But um, it, it, it's a strategy, and uh, apparently Fleck knows it. Must have like picked it up via osmosis. Or <laughs> what do you, what are you, as Purdue fans, hoping for? What do you, what do you hope 
Brom does? Like, what what are your goals for if you had a dream? Um, what do you, well, I, I shouldn't say if you had a dream cause we all have dreams and the dreams are usually bigger than the realities, but it, what do you think is a, is a realistic goal for the program uh, under Rome? I think it's kind of, a, it's improved this year to, all right, let's get to a bowl game. I mean, there's what 40 some odd bowl games and all you gotta do is get to six wins. You know, that, that's a very achievable goal from what we've seen in the first third of the season. And then from there it's improved recruiting and, <clears throat> excuse me, improve recruiting and just uh, start challenging for the Big Ten West and see what we can go from there. You know, get back to those days of 97 to 2004 when Purdue was constantly in the race and somewhat of a threat to actually go to Pasadena. We we only went the one time, but there were several other times we were right there and uh, really close. So I'd love to see him do that again. And what amazes me is he's doing this with recruits that were constantly at the bottom of the Big Ten. Hazel was probably the worst Big Ten recruiter you could ask for. And uh, Brahm has come in from day one. Yeah, he's brought in some grad transfers from JUCO guys and stuff, but he's getting it done mostly with Hazel's recruits, which is quite impressive. Uh, and to give you an example of how, <clears throat> excuse me, how bad of a recruiter Hazel was, uh, I look at Koi Kronk. Uh, he went to Lafayette Central Catholic High School across town. We're talking less than five miles from Purdue's campus. Uh, he was a four-star offensive tackle, and at the time that he was coming out of high school, we desperately needed a offensive tackle. It was a non-negotiable thing. Hazel never offered him. Not even offered him a scholarship. Instead, he offered a JUCO guy by the name of Jalen Neal, who stayed at Purdue one year and was awful in what little he played. And pretty much if you had put a turnstile out there, it would have been an improvement upon Jalen Neal. He ended up leaving this team after this year, and so you got nothing out of that. Kronk became a freshman All-American last season at Indiana. And that should tell you exactly how good of a recruiter Hazel was, that he couldn't offer a guy that was across town. And at a position that was of desperate need, and it was a four-star recruit. Well, and couldn't even, like, it's one thing to even say, like, didn't land them. Because, I mean, Minnesota's had its fair share of talented local guys who, you know, find their way to Notre Dame or somewhere else. But didn't even bother to offer him, which I don't, I don't even, yeah. I don't, I don't even know what to say. That doesn't make any, that doesn't make any sense. He ended up offering his teammate Jackson Anthrop, who is our leading receiver this season, and and Anthrop was only a two star, but is the you know scrappy, gonna get the absolute maximum out of the ability that God's given him two star, but uh, no, never didn't even offer his teammate. Because usually Anthrop is the guy you offer because he's friends with the four star. Right. And, and Anthrop was going to come to Purdue anyway because his older brothers came to Purdue. His his oldest brother, Drew, played basketball for us for four years as a walk-on and then earned a scholarship. And then his other brother, Danny, was a four-year contributor under Danny Hope. Uh, can we have Daryl Hazel back, please? <laughs> well, you kind of do. He's the receivers coach for the Vikings. I'll be honest with you, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, he is the receivers coach for the Vikings. So, sorry, Vikings fans who are listeners and who will now judge me harshly. I, 
I didn't even realize that they'd done that. Um, okay. So if, it, if there's some kind of sickness and poor coaching by osmosis that affects the Vikings and the Gophers from there, you might want to start investigating right there. Uh, no, I'm more worried about, like, Chad Greenway bringing angry Iowa running back hating God up with him before he retired. Nice. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, well, you know, you, you kind of touched briefly on uh, you know, the program back in the, the late 90s for, for you all, and obviously there was the sad news this week that Joe Tiller uh, passed away. Um, I guess kind of felt like it might be fun to end it with, what's your favorite Joe Tiller story? Oh man, uh, I, 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 my favorite memory was getting to go to the Rose Bowl because I, I was a junior at Purdue that year and it was just so much fun to be able to go and even though we lost the game by 10 points, it's the we still made the Rose Bowl and I know what that means to Big Ten programs and Big Ten fans, but I, th- I think my favorite story of his entire time at Purdue was uh, a game that a lot of people forget. In the 1999 season, they played down at Central Florida, and this was after Central Florida had had Dante Culpepper the year before, and we'd actually seen Culpepper the year before when they played the first game at Purdue. But the back end of the home and home were down there, and we're winning the game by three or four touchdowns. They ended up forcing a short field goal. We're talking 20, 25-yard field goal, and they blocked the field goal. But it bounces right into the hands of our kicker, who on the scramble drill, now that it's a live ball, ends up throwing a touchdown to the blocking tight end, who dives into the end zone from four yards out, and gets he ends up getting a celebration penalty called on him. And uh, the story after the game was that Tiller laid into him and was like, you know, act like you've been to the end zone before. And the tight end was like, uh, Coach, I'm the blocking tight end on the field goal unit. I never get to play. I've never been to the end zone before. And Tiller's like, well, I had to kind of take it easy on him after that. So that's just kind of the coach that Tiller was is, you know, the, the, the blocking backup third string tight end gets a touchdown and goes crazy. And he's like, what do you got? Oh, okay. You haven't been there before. Well, fine. I, I guess I'll allow that then. I think the one that I read um... – on Twitter from, uh, and I'm assuming you guys had retweeted because it was a former player, so I wouldn't have had any reason to be following this former Purdue player, but I'm assuming you guys retweeted off the main account. Um, something about how if the practices were over 90 degrees in fall camp, they always had popsicles. And so instead of water breaks, there would be at least one popsicle break of practice. Yeah, that I remember seeing that one. And I, I just remembered another one. It was the year we went to the Rose Bowl. We end up upsetting Michigan on a last-second field goal, and everybody rushes the field and whatnot. So the students are climbing the goalposts, and Tim Stratton, our All-American tight end, who would end up winning the National Tight End Award, the Mackey Award, ended up climbing the goalposts with some of the students. Well, as it turns out, he had set his helmet down and lost his helmet. And Tiller went nuts. I mean, just reamed him up and down couldn't find and he's like unless you get this helmet back you're not going to play the next saturday i think we were playing wisconsin or something and you know tim's like okay well i'll pay for it out of out of my pocket and from the story i heard tiller's like no you have to find that helmet or you won't play so like wednesday or thursday stratton hasn't found his helmet yet and he got a note from a student that said come find your helmet 
where you left it. And sure enough, some student went back into the football stadium and set it underneath the goalposts with uh, just sight unseen was with the, all right, here's your helmet back, you know, tear it up on Saturday, one of those type of notes and everything. And so Stratton got to play. <laughs> but I just, <laughs> I found that hilarious how he was going to bench his uh, All-American best tight end in the country because he lost his helmet celebrating with the students after a huge win over Michigan. What I love about that is that the student who did that had to sneak back into the stadium because I'm assuming they don't leave, I don't, I'm assuming they don't do what uh, Cincinnati does and leave the stadium wide open to, to everybody, right? Uh, it's not hard to sneak into the stadium, I'll say that. Uh, I don't want to be... <laughs> I, I, I only say that because after we won the women's basketball national title in 1999, we're having a big bonfire on campus, and some there's a group of like 250 students that got the brilliant idea to break into the football stadium and tear down the goalposts. They never tore down the goalposts, but I'm like, why are we doing this? And, well, I might or might not have been. I, th- I think the statute of limitations is passed on that 18 years later, isn't it? <laughs> May or may not have been in that group. Hey, man, you have your diploma already. That's about the most. That's the most important thing they can withhold from you. Okay, well, if, if I get arrested on campus Saturday, I'll I'll, I'll know what happened. Hold then. me responsible. The Daily Gopher bears bears full responsibility. You can just look. Tell them to look for the giant and maroon and gold zubas, and and I can discuss with them how it was my fault. Nice. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us uh, or me, the Royal We, joining the Royal We here on the first edition of the Minnesota Nice uh, Q&A podcast. Um, I, I can't say I'm wishing you good luck on, on Saturday. I, I'm wishing you no injuries, but a spirited loss for the Purdue Boilermakers on Saturday. Uh, I'll take that because the last time you came to town, you just ran all over us. And I know that there was that one play where Shannon Brooks broke, I think, 74 oh, tackles on one play. <laughs> that might be and, and probably will be my my favorite Shannon Brooks moment for the rest of my life. Because it was like, oh, I'm sorry, the truck button is stuck and I'm just going to keep throwing it. I, I remember describing that as the, uh, okay, it was an exhibition in how not to tackle somebody. <laughs> and it was it was just... It was so painful to watch. I'm like, for the love of God, someone just bring him down. Yeah, that was good. We could we could do more of that. That would be wonderful. Less of whatever <laughs> Maryland was and more of the truck stick. That would be fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, uh, make sure you're checking out uh, hammerandrails.com for the Purdue side of things leading up to Saturday. Uh, you'll, if you haven't noticed already, we put a game day guide that uh, the Hammer and Rails folks kindly wrote uh, this year, uh, that'll give you everything you need. If you're going down to West Lafayette, uh, any last thoughts, Travis? Uh, no, I appreciate the shout out for the game day guide. I know, uh, I was up in Milwaukee this summer, went to a Marlins Brewers game and we toured the Miller Brewery beforehand. There were actually some Minnesota fans that I ran into that were looking for advice and said that uh, they were coming to the Purdue game. So if uh, they're your listeners or they're your readers, uh, welcome to Purdue, random folks that I ran into at uh, the Miller Brewery. Excellent. All right. Everybody, thanks for listening. Hopefully you'll get to check this out on a weekly basis. Uh, Go Gophers, Skyima, row the boat.